Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Storybox, where I, your host, Jay Phantom, has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox the amazing stories of some incredible people from all walks of life and experiences. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the Storybox and hear more about our guest today. All right, my friends, this episode promises to be thick and big because we have the legendary Chris Sheldrick on the Storybox today. Now, if you don't know who Chris is, he is one of the founders and owners of Thick Cookies, Big Brownies, Banksia in Sydney, and Passion Tree Velvet. Now, if you have not seen Thick Cookies before, these things are insane. Like, they're going to make you hungry just thinking about them right now. and I highly encourage you to go on Instagram, type type thick cookies, look at these things, and go and order some because I guarantee you won't go wrong. Uh, Chris and I get to talking about how it all got started. So here's a funny story, right? So Chris was actually a fan of the Storybox before I reached out to him and asked him to be part of it and share his story. And then when we first met, he went for about an hour and seven minutes. Then as I was going to release this episode, I could not find for the life of me his actual episode. So I stuffed up big time and I've gone to Chris and said, hey, Chris, I've lost your episode, mate. And he responds back. He's like, Jay, if you want an excuse to hang out with me, all you got to do is ask. <laughs> that just goes to show Chris's character. I mean, he is, he's a very kind, generous uh, person. And we got to talking uh, the other day actually and ended up going for about an hour and 20-something minutes. So we extended the time, and before we actually hit record, we were talking for a good 30 to 40 minutes beforehand. Each and every time I see Chris, we're always talking for a while because, you know, that's what friends do, right? So like I said in the introduction, this episode is going to be thick and big, partly because of Chris's story, but also we are doing a... Thick and big giveaway. So this is what we're going to do. Two lucky people are going to walk away with their own bucket of thick cookies, okay? And all you need to do is three things. First thing, you've got to make sure that you're following uh, Thick Cookies and the Storybox podcast. All the links will be in the show notes below as well as it'll be in the Instagram post or social media posts as well. So you can't miss it. Secondly, here's a big one, okay? The people that actually do this have a higher chance of winning 
Go to Apple Podcasts, type in the Storybox Podcast. The links will all be available for you. If you have a, a iPhone, and if you don't have an iPhone, there's there's a way we can work around this as well. But if you have an iPhone, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. Tag your review. Post it on on social media, tagging the Storybox Podcast or Thick Cookies. Let us see it. And then you go into a even thicker entry of the potential of winning uh, this bucket and merch. Okay. Now, if you're an Android user, all you need to do is uh, take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your stories and write a review there. Let everybody know what you think of the episode because that's just as powerful. For those Apple users, you can do the same thing if you want. The choice is yours. The reason why I ask those Apple users to leave a rating and review is so that we can reach more people with amazing stories like this one. Uh, it's amazing how that actually works, but we'd really appreciate your support on this and, you know, you get to enjoy cookies as well. So it's win-win. The third thing you got to do, guys, is very simple, is just enjoy the episode and pay it forward. So let all your friends and family know uh, of this episode and get around and get amongst our local businesses like Chris's and just share it around, show your support and show your love. Thank you so much to Chris for his time, second time running. And with that being said, everyone, let's dive into the story box and hear Chris Sheldrick's story. Welcome. Nice to meet you. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, I should say, I won't say again, but... <laughs> um, delighted to have you once again and I have one question that you know what's coming anyway that I love asking people to start off with and that is what does success look like to you? Okay. I should start off though with the, the founder thing. I'm not sure if I brought this up because we know each other but it's I should say it's not just me. It's me, my wife, her brother and then his partner. Uh, so there's there's like a four of us who the mix, yeah, mix yeah. of founders. So I was like, your co-founder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I tend to be the face of things and do all the interviews and stuff like that. But it's all together we we build all of it. But a definition of success. I said it before. I because I'm already I already listened to the podcast. So I already know the questions coming. But uh, yeah, hard to say. Definition of success. I wouldn't necessarily. I wouldn't say it's money. Uh, I also wouldn't say it's a lot of people will say maybe to work out some sort of work-life balance, but I don't really ascribe to work-life balance. Like a, we can easily be working six, seven days a week, but then sometimes it doesn't feel. Most of the time, it doesn't feel like work because we're sort of doing what we built. Like we made these things, so working on it doesn't feel like work per yeah. se. So definition of success, I guess that's tied into probably happiness. But then you get onto like what's the definition of happiness? Uh, <laughs> See, so, he knows me too well, guys. Yeah. Like it's it's not fair. Like I can't really ask him questions because um, he knows what's coming kind yeah. of. But I'm, I'm going to ask you not the definition of happiness, but what are the things that actually make you happy? Um, well, so we're doing Passion Tree Bell for seven years and we got a whole bunch of stores and then like Thick Cookies comes out of me wanting to, because I spent a lot of time in the office. Uh, after a certain point, 
just spend a lot of time in the office and don't really spend any time in shops. Whereas like the first shop, you're in there all the time, talking to people, et cetera. And it's like a year ago, I've been doing the thick cookies for like a year now, mostly on the weekends, just in my spare time, because I like going back to like markets and talking to people and having fun and working with friends and stuff like that. So that brings me happiness because people, uh, you could say, when I move beyond that, why am I working in the markets? Uh, but that's the fun mm. like that I enjoy having. That's why I enjoy waking up at like four o'clock in the morning every Saturday and getting ready for the markets and then seeing everybody line up and come for cook like cookies and things like that. Whereas you could just be sitting back and uh, letting everyone else do everything for you maybe. But, but that also doesn't really apply for hospitality business. Anyway, you can't really just have a hospitality, hospitality business run by itself. Um, so what gets you up in the morning at 4 a.m.? Is it every single morning or uh, is it just market days? It's just market days. Yeah. yeah. Don't have to wake up really early anymore. Not like you. I know you wake up. <laughs> I'm, I'm the unlucky guy that gets to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning to do interviews. Well, but, you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning anyway to go to the gym, don't you? Yeah, with, without yeah. doing interviews. So Yeah. Um, the morning guy, I'm like, I'm a... I'm a stay up on my phone at night, even though I'm technically in bed at like 10. I don't go to sleep till one or something. I'm the, the complete same. opposite, dude. Like I, I'm That's how basic I am. That's 6 a.m. is like my <laughs> shut off time. So it's it's literally my brain. 6 p.m. Oh, 6 p.m. Sorry. There you go. That yeah. shows. See, 6, see, it's, it's showing right now. now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like my brain decides to shut off because I've been up so long. Yeah. Like so early. Uh, the What gets me up at four o'clock in the morning off. Um, it's, I like to just have everything organized on the market days rather than be rushed. So like I wake up, it's not rushing off at four o'clock in the morning. I wake up, just slowly have a coffee, uh, get ready for the day, check everything's going all right, and then go set up and then just be set up and ready for people, uh, all the customers to come. Cause we had some crazy fan, like crazy in like a good way. Like people come really early Mm. And they'll like start making lines and things like that. But we'll be ready for them right away. Uh, that's pretty much it for in terms of why we get why I want to get up early in the morning. But um, you ever worry that there won't be those lines? <coughs> uh, yeah. Oh, but we because we, we are perp like we have been pretty popular the cookies and. Uh, you know, it's taken off in the past couple of months. And so we get approached to do bigger things. But I think it's the same thing people get approached for if they've got their first business. So like shopping centers come and all these different people come and go, oh, you should open a shop here, you should open a shop there, which I think can, it'd be easy to get carried away with thinking these people want you. Um, but we're trying to uh, control it and make sure we're not overexpanded. Everyone wants to wholesale the cookies, but only supply it to a few friends who we know have really good cafes like um, Percy Plunkett's out in Penrith. And then we're doing it in our Banksy store in the city, <clears throat> things like that. Um, so we're trying to control how, so it's not, it's not everywhere. It's not uh, too commonplace. Something um, that you can maintain. Yeah, so we can quality yeah. control everything. We know where people are getting everything. Uh, we can track back a lot of that stuff. Uh, but to keep it somewhat exclusive and fun and interesting, like uh, in terms of, I want to think of it, how would I want to, if I saw this brand, food brand out there, 
that I really like uh, and willing to chase it down and follow it, then I would actually go and do that if that's the only way to get it. Yeah. But if it just has a street store, it's always one of those things where I'm, I'll go there eventually and then I'll never go. Yeah, it's like when, if somewhere, if something's like an exclusive food truck, I actually really make the effort to go and try those places and I'll try them over and over again. But if something's just a, a shop, I'm always like, I'll just go another time. So that's what ha that's how I think and that's how I approach them. So we're trying to recreate, I would, I would just do exactly the same thing uh, if this was if I if this wasn't my business and I was just a customer, how would I uh, <clears throat> how would I go about it? Mm. Yeah, it's the same way we do our branding. People because I see we have Passion Tree, which is uh, a dessert bar, the original concept. Passion Tree Velvet, thick cookies, big brownies, Bankshire Bakehouse, and uh, people people bring up like, oh, how'd you brand them? Um, how'd you come up with the idea? How'd you come up with the name? But we just design things and and throw things around until. Uh, it looks like something that we would like to eat at or shop at. It's like not really something you can do a lot of, you know, and there's no like scientific research you can do no. really behind some of that stuff. I mean, some, maybe some of the, you can read some science about the way some colors and things like that. But if you've been to enough places, that's also just instinctively in your head. You can tell, oh, there's, there's something slightly off about that one. There's something, uh, something really attractive about this one etc but um yeah that's how we came up with almost all of those um, seems almost very personal as well like <coughs> you guys actually want to try it so you test it out and it happens to work because yeah. everyone else has got a similar idea yeah well the cookie one in particular so the actual story of the origins of thick cookies is uh as Passion Tree Velvet, we would do the tea festival every year and we would sell macarons. Mm. And then last year, uh, we applied as Passion Tree Velvet to sell macarons, but they said uh, they'd already signed up a few other macaron vendors. So they said, you know, which I totally respect because other markets wouldn't do this. Other festivals wouldn't do this. They would just sign up everybody and then have you all next to each other selling the same thing. But they said, sorry, we've got too many macaron vendors. So we can't accept you or can you do something else? <clears throat> and the cookies has been something I've been wanting to do for a long, long time. But um, whether that was through the shops or creating something different. So we already had recipes developed. Um, <clears throat> and we're like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. So then we did the cookie concept at uh, the tea festival last year, so 2019. And the way we came up with the concept and the branding, also oh, the concept and the branding is between of thick cookies specifically is between is by me and my sister and my sister was doing it uh from england uh and then she came over here on holiday and we just mm, came up with the branding and stuff while she was on holiday over here and uh it is black and yellow with and the slogan is uh dangerously delicious thick cookies dangerously delicious uh and gotcha. all of the branding is based on the color scheme and items that we can get from Bunnings. <coughs> yeah. Bunnings. Yeah. Because basically, yeah, yeah. So we didn't want to spend, invest too much money on building a stall and branding and printing all this different custom stuff. So we do dangerously delicious thick cookies. And we just got all the emergency warning tape, the black and white warning tape, the road barriers, the uh, blocked road signs and all these different things that you can just pick up from Bunnings. And then we built our stool out of all of that stuff. Uh, and then dangerously delicious warning, 
Warning, warning. Dangerously delicious. Dangerously thick as well is what we would say. Um, and then we bought it all two days before the market. And then we did the market and then we refunded it all the next day. Because it's all, apart from like the tape and stuff, but the road barriers and the road signs and all that kind of, like we, because it was just. Uh, like on, a one-off uh, thing. Yeah. So we just able to refund it because it wasn't used on the road or anything like that. And it was all untouched. It was just like a just in case. And then because it was so successful, we actually just end up uh, buying it all again, uh, like two weeks <laughs> later, because we got approached to do things, uh, more markets after that. But yeah, on the tea festival, we I brought enough, like uh, more stock than in terms of value than I would bring macaron stock. And I just thought, I just want to keep it full all day. So it just looks good. So we can take some nice pictures and then get ask people and it might be quiet and just talk to people. What do you think about this store? But like the moment we opened, we sold out like a seven or eight hour event and we were sold out in like two hours. Yeah. <clears throat> and people just lining up constantly and we had no followers. We just set up the Instagram account like two days before that. And we just sold everything in like an hour and a half, two hours. And that was more than more dollar value than we would bring for passion tree uh, velvet macarons. So people just went crazy. It was just hectic the whole time. Um, and so that's how we sort of knew we were onto something. How did that make you feel when you oh, sold out in two hours? <laughs> Any festival, or because some of the festivals can be expensive. Like the Easter show is like $15,000. The Bastille Festival is $8,000 and things like that. So, <clears throat> and that with like, it was also opening a shop. It's like you can do all this work and then uh, open. And then the fear is that just no one will come. Yeah. Which has happened. <laughs> at markets and shops. So how do you manage your fear? Uh, no, you just go into it expecting the worst. You just go to everything with fear. And then and then you don't even get to celebrate when you win. You just get to have relief that it didn't go badly. <laughs> wow. But is that a, is that a, a bad thing though? Because uh, like, that would put immense amount of pressure and stress on you if you're constantly no, fearing that it won't actually work. I say fearing. It's not fearing that it will work because it's just, it's not even fear. It's just, if it goes, if it doesn't go as we wanted and you have that anxious, it's just anxious that, oh, I have to do even more work. You do a lot of work to get things open and get in a market or an event or a shop open. And then it's relief that it might, it might be easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like I listen to your uh, Percy Plunkett's podcast where his problem was here. Phil's problem was that he had too many customers from the first week. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. <laughs> so, you, but when you yeah, start your own from, brand, yeah, you don't know if this is actually going to be successful yeah. or not. Yeah. And I've always wondered, you know, what <laughs> stress and anxiety and, and all that sort of stuff. So. If you if you don't know going in, like you don't have that lead up or that build up, it's like walking into the unknown and it's like any advice that you could give to someone that has an idea that wants to do something with that idea, what yeah, advice yeah. would you give them? I mean, a couple of ways. It depends how much you've committed yourself. But I mean, the cookies, as an example, yeah, we purposely did it so that it would be somewhat protected because the zone we haven't massively overinvested, but then I would because there's a line there because part of it is don't invest too much and do some testing, but you have to be sp willing to spend money uh, to do that original test. So you take just, risks. Uh, I just mean in terms of the dollar, you do have to take some risks. It depends on your approach as well. Because for example, the thick cookies we did 
spend like three or four or five hundred dollars printing like actual logos and banners and things like that. But in the grand, like that sounds like a lot of money just for like a one or two day event. But we were thinking long term where a four or five hundred dollars to test something now, but it still looked good. So people are not judging it based on that. They'll they'll go, they'll uh, see the branding and things like that. Go, I can trust that. Then they buy the product, and then once they once they've been convinced to try the product and then they like that, then that will be the real uh, proof of the pudding. Right. Got to turn that into a pun. <laughs> Proving the pudding. There you go. <laughs> we don't sell puddings though. So. Oh, you might. You might. <laughs> the pudding cookie. Okay, we need to think about pudding bread. <laughs> here we go, guys. We've got a, a, a little baby right here. Chris's brain's going a million miles an hour. I can just see. But people are people as familiar with puddings. Uh, sticky day pudding. Yeah, that's that's hot. If you can if you can crack the sticky day pudding market, you've got. Yeah, you, you got to do. Yeah, because the thick cookie one, people are really familiar with cookies, right? And same with creating big brownies. Is so people already have a point of familiarity with those products, and then all you have to do is just make them better than what they've had. Yeah, and 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 those products as well, people will generally have a pretty basic. They would have had a pretty basic version of it some, uh, most of the time. So, because we're at our passion tree velvet, is like a, we use all the top high end best ingredients and we're trying to be like one of the best patisseries out there. So we already have all the best ingredients out here in here in the bakery. So we just move the transfer those over to make the cookies. Um, but yeah, so I think because we've already got a point that they can relate to, they're willing to try it and then they can compare it amongst themselves. We have items in Passion Tree Velvet where if they had that, they would have nothing, they have no point of context like mm. we have this uh uh we make like moose items and things that we've had by going to patisseries in america and france and stuff but most of your average person who walks past they'll like it but they won't know or realize if that's better than uh, other items in that market or so they don't really have any uh, anything to relate it to whereas a cookie and brownie they do so it gives us the opportunity that if we know it's a really good product people uh, will have the confidence to tell other people that this is one of the best. Because people say also, we didn't really spend any marketing money on marketing the product, but a co the cookie and it being the New York thick style cookie, mm -hmm. uh, it actually has like a moment to capture, to share, which is like the breaking apart of the cookie and having all the chocolate gooey and melty inside. Uh, whereas most other food doesn't really have a moment like, mm -hmm. to share. Like... <clears throat> Yeah, you don't really have like a, maybe a cheese toasty has that moment that you stretch the cheese out. <clears throat> you see that. But, or pizza or. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, ice cookie, cream. Just like, what would ice cream, there's, what's the moment that's worth capturing? I think it's um, the way it looks. Yeah. Like the different I mean, all flavors. Food has like, yeah, yeah, just the way it looks. But they've um, got to have that actual specific moment yeah. where you. And I think video does better. So a lot of people have just been sharing the video and, and then. All the time, like constantly, people are constantly saying, this is the best cookie I've ever had. Mm. Like, and we, we say like our mission is to create Australia's best cookie. And so many people constantly tagging us and writing in their stories, this is the best cookie I've ever had. And then all their friends and uh, families or whatever watching those stories, they see best cookie they've ever had. That's a pretty big claim. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> so then they buy it. 
And then they, so it, it was just this uh, viral uh, sensation, like yeah, yeah. Which you can't really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, because people ask us like, how would you recreate that? But I wouldn't, I don't know. I think we're just fortunate that the product is really good, and uh, it actually because it's so thick, people have a moment that they can share. Yeah, and I can I can really attest to that because well, you get through loads of cookies. I get, I get too many. I think you've had like, like fifty cookies in the past month. <laughs> right. Yeah, you had. Like, and I still haven't gained an ounce. <laughs> yeah, because you have to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to to, work to it burn off. it all off. <laughs> <laughs> so I keep coming back for yeah. more because I love it. But you know, mum was saying to me the other day, she's like. Jay, you're eating so many cookies, you're probably going to get diabetes soon. I'm like, I'll be We've got high-end ingredients. New Zealand butter, Belgian chocolate. Wow. Makes it healthier, right? So <laughs> it actually is healthy-ish? Like oh, because no. Of those... just, you just know that we would have um, really good ingredients as well. Mm. That's, that's like the, the only real secret. People, you know, the cookies, they just have really good ingredients. That's it. We use really good vanilla. We use... Because we're already using really high-end vanilla and butter cause, uh, and chocolate here anyway. So bringing in another cheaper chocolate and all that kind of stuff, it's just, it's not really, it's just easier for us to stock control the really good stuff. And we're not going to use cheap stuff in our patisserie side anyway. And they say uh, the best butters in the world are Irish, French, and uh, New Zealand. And I uh, did not know that. I think, I, I think... We use mostly New Zealand because it's closest anyway, but it's, uh, yeah, New Zealand butter, I think is one of the best. Yeah. So that's what we use here. Wow. Um, and that, 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 that's what, that's what's in all the cookies. Yeah. So that that's kind one of, of the secret. How about the sugar? Bundaberg sugar. Yeah. <clears throat> but sugar, sugar, you, yeah. most, uh, uh, that doesn't really make too much of a difference. Yeah. No, it's Brown still... Brown Demerara from Bundaberg. But you don't like overload the, the cookies with sugar, do you? Uh, it depends. Define define, <laughs> define overloaded. Yeah. I would so, say the, the more unhealthy part of it is just the sheer amount of butter. Like uh, most people wouldn't have had cookies with so much chocolate and butter. That's really the... the so it's mainly, mainly the fat content, which for those people that are listening, fat is not bad for you. Yeah, it also depends so. what... Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, it all the sugar is the one that, yeah, you should maybe be careful of. But yeah, it depends like your definition. It's when people go, are these cookies really sweet? And even just within like our team, when people say, uh, some people think something's really sweet, some think people think it's not sweet enough. Like so it's a really hard question for us as, you know, dessert, patisserie, cookie, brownie people, to answer for <laughs> for people because. You can say, oh, it's not that sweet to you, but it might be really sweet to them. So we always try to avoid that question. Because everyone has, you know, different taste buds. Yeah. So what I think is too sweet might not be sweet exactly. to we someone face else. That. Like you, how, do you, how do you keep up with that? Like you just say... Well, we tend to, for like the cookies, for example, we have a variety of different flavors and fillings. So if they say things like, I don't want something too sweet, we just point them in directions of other items. Smart. Yeah. Like, for example, the cookies and cream one is not too sweet, but that's literally just stuffed with Oreos. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's much more biscuity. Yeah. But then we have like a vanilla frosting one, 
which is really sweet. I've had that. I've had that one, and then yeah, you've yeah. got the strawberry one, which yeah, which is more like strawberries and cream. Yeah, which is absolutely. Would you say that's sweet? That's sweet. Yeah. So when I would say that's more creamy. I think it's sweet and creamy at the yeah, same time. Yeah. It's got a good combination. Like when I had it at the Penrith markets, yeah. I I got back to the car and I'd finished the cookie, and I'm like, oh. Because oh. <laughs> I ate the whole thing. Plus, I had a donut before that, and I was like, "This is, yeah." It, it was, um, it was a perfect combination, though. I, I really, really liked it, man. So, yeah, I mean, and and that's the thing. Like, it the cookies have just grown from the fact that it's such a good product, mm. and that's not us going. This is the best cookie you guys got? It's just, yeah. People have just shared the fact that they've liked it so much. Yeah. Um, so what's the plan for the future? Because um, you are dom- getting world domination. World domination. You're yeah, going to we'll try see. and crack the new. Because if you think of some re- some other brands that you could really admire, they go pretty slow. Like yeah. Slow and steady. Like I don't, I'm only thinking right now, like off the top of my head, some of the burger brands from America, like what was it, Five Guys, In and Out. They go. They just go real slow, maintain the quality. I'm not really too concerned with, uh, like whether cookies is going to where thick cookies might just be a flash trend because cookies have been around forever. Yeah. You know, and um, I think the thing that does happen is people grow, they get a, they'll get, they'll get onto a, uh, a concept and then just dilute it and make as much fast money as they can. You know, whether that be like selling tons of franchises and growing up into every shopping center in the country, et cetera. Um, but we'll just go slow and steady uh, like whether or not I think the next expansion would be to have uh, the roaming market set up. So you know every every weekend we go different markets around Sydney, but have that in Brisbane and then Melbourne, and then you know maybe we'll see how it goes. But uh, maybe one day there might be a single shop mm. in in Sydney. Uh, we'll see how that goes, and if that goes and that works, then one shop in. Then you can do world, world domination. One shop in Singapore, one shop in Hong Kong, one shop in London, one shop in New York. That'd be good. Take to I haven't, I haven't thought of that before. Maybe I should say that. The the goal is to get one shop in New York. Oh, and the, but the main goal, <laughs> the main goal is to get onto the Rocks cheat day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be like just the uh, the airy dreamy goal like mm. just like a, it doesn't really like it doesn't need to convert to anything it doesn't need to make us because if, if the rock did post and said oh i having these cookies i'm enjoying them the any followers or, or people who would be interested in followers wouldn't really be local to here no uh they'd be you you might get a whole bunch more followers but they wouldn't be real customers so that wouldn't really be helpful but it's just the fact that I'm already following him and like he's an inspiration, et cetera, that, and he has those epic cheat days. So, so if he ever let's, comes back here, let's play with that a little bit. So because he's got an epic cheat day, you wouldn't just give him a normal thick cookie, would you? You'd, you'd go. No, we, we got the one kilo ones, which are like the size of your head. Uh, <laughs> so see how maybe give, get, get him some of those and see how many of those he can have. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> but he'd have to be probably in Sydney promoting some movie or filming something. So maybe someday. Oh, I'm sure it'll happen. You know, <laughs> you never know, Chris. Yeah, maybe um, a, little bit, a little while away. Think, but... Fingers crossed, you know. <laughs> but I think I want to take you back a little bit to, I guess, how you grew up 
and some of the lessons that your parents taught you that have sort of helped you today in business? Did they help you in business at all? Like learn any of the tips and tricks? Um, I think our parents always wanted us just let us do whatever we'd be interested in. Yeah. So my sis, uh, my sister, uh, one of my sisters is a teacher. One of my sisters is works in film production, oh. and then my other two brothers are photographers. So none none of the sort of um, you know be a lawyer or doctor type or an accountant type pressures. But um, and in terms of my mum's always been um, starting her own businesses, etc. Whether that be, uh, I think she had a cafe briefly, but uh, language school, tutoring school, things like that. Um, but whether or not they inspired me to be a business, um, yeah, it's more just the freedom. Like they would have been pretty weird because I, so when I was, <clears throat> when I was 12 or 13, uh, it was early days of uh, eBay. Mm. So not early days. It was like four years after eBay started. But uh, 12, 13, I was actually importing stuff to, I don't know if I, I've mentioned this before, but I used to be, when I was like 13 or something, 13, 14, something like that, I was an eBay power seller. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my parents had to put up with, I would order stuff from China or like wholesale suppliers and things like that. And all these people who weren't on eBay and I buy things by the pallet and just show up at our house, which is always a thing because, I mean, now I know because we have a warehouse, but we didn't, a truck would show up with a pallet of stuff and we don't have a forklift to take it off the truck. So the guy would have to wait there with his truck. Well, he's normally just used to driving up. Someone pick it off the back of the truck, drop it down and he goes, whereas we'd have to like unload it by hand into our driveway. Uh, so we're doing that when I was 13, 14. And to be a power seller back then, you had to sell 3,000. Um, well, so I'm from England originally. So it'd be 3,000 pounds a month for like six months consistently. And then you get a power seller badge. And yeah, so I was 13, 14 when I was doing that. And I spent all my time browsing the internet and finding little items that, and watching the trends on eBay and things. And, find, and then that was really early on, on with them. Um, I think it was... Alibaba or I can't remember if it was that exact site or not. And then, you know, send off all the uh, interest forms and buy boxes of stuff from China. Uh, so yeah, so I did that for like two or three years on eBay, just packing things. So I always found that pretty uh, just fun. It's like a game, like hit these, make the money, hit the targets. These things come in, these things come out. And then I think really where that eBay stuff really took off is when there's like this transition period, like I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, a lot of independent video game uh, and computer stores existed. Yep. And then, you know, those started to get crowded out and outcompeted by big chains who use their purchasing power to uh, like buy games and computer parts and bits on a bigger scale. So I was doing eBay at a time when a lot of independent small game shops, console shops, computer shops were closing down. And then, oh yeah, I think I was 15 or 16, 15, 16. And, and I just got onto liquidation options. And the one I knew was games and, and video games and things. So 
I would just be, I'd be picking up these really cheap liquidated uh, video game uh, pallets. And then I'd, I'd receive them all, break them all down, list everything out on eBay and then uh, uh, sell all that. So yeah, I got pretty fortunate, got some really good deals and then would sell it all <clears throat> because it was liquidated shops. So all the stock, stock was new mm. or almost all new. The, um, Step Hands, it was like a secondhand game shop. So then I would just list it all on uh, eBay as just new stock that I got for really, really cheap. Although I don't know now whether or not I was actually even earning minimum wage for the amount of hours I was working. Like I didn't know. I don't know. I can't remember how much. I just worked so much. So I don't know if that would be a viable business right now. But I was just having, I just had fun doing it. So um, so you knew very early on that you wanted to be in business for yourself. Uh, yeah. And the original question was about the parents. So. Mm. Yeah, they, they always tell a story of when I was really young. Because in England, we had this, I don't know if you heard it, we had this game called Conkers. Yes. Do you know Conkers? Yeah, yes. you, it, Conkers is like a, a sort of chestnut. Yeah. And then you tie a string to it. Uh, no, you have to drill a hole through it and tie, put a string through it. And then you, you smash each other's uh, Conkers. And we had a tree in a park near us. And I would go and collect them all, drill the holes and put the string. Because that's the thing people couldn't do is drill the hole and put the string through. And then I would pick all those up, get uh, set them up with the strings and then go take them to school and sell them. So I used to do that when I was a, when I was a kid, like much younger. I think I was, that was probably like six, seven, eight. Yeah. My Obviously goodness. I didn't use, I wasn't using the drill, but my parents helping. So like they told that at my wedding, for example, like, uh, <laughs> so, so you're doing business at seven, eight years old and then yeah. you move into eBay. And I was setting you up for later in life, which is... Yeah. Well, the, so I used to go to a really good school in England mm. uh, that I'd take a test to get into. And then I spent all my time doing eBay and uh, 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 instead of maybe instead of doing schoolwork per se. But it's funny because we had a business studies. I did study business studies. Mm. But then we had a teacher, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Denton. And then he would have us get up he would have me get up at certain times and give updates on my business. <laughs> uh, uh, so no one else in the class was doing business, but you? No, no, not really. Not like, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, no, yeah, I don't think anyone else really was. So oh, there was the one other person. Experience. There was one other kid in the school in, in uh, my year, Monil, who was selling service space. So he was renting and selling service space. But anyway, wow, <laughs> yeah, that was more impressive than what I was doing, but uh that was complicated. But uh, yeah, and so my point is that, so, and then we have these things called GCSEs. I didn't do so well on the GCSEs. So then uh, they, you had to have a certain amount of A's. I think you need like uh, eight A's out of 11. And I think I've got like four or five and then all the rest B's. It turned out that all you had to do was just ask them to let you in. But, uh, <laughs> They wanted to <laughs> see you stress. Like, uh, so a lot well. of other people got much worse grades. Yeah. Uh, and still got let back in. But I just took that as, all right, have to move school. So then I moved to another school. And then, I don't know, it wasn't really, there was no pressure for my parents, but just uh, thought I'd concentrate on studying. So I all that eBay stuff. I had a few things which were really lucrative that I just kept on the background, but I didn't spend any time on it. Um and so for my last few years of school, when we get into A-levels, uh, I concentrated more on studying. And then 
uh, I moved to uh, school in Wimbledon, you know, for the tennis. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so stopped doing some of that eBay stuff then. And then gone into a university, going to Winter King's uh, College in London, which is a good, uh, good uni. Um, but and I studied geography there. Was the I was the president of the, the geography society. Yeah, always the can't just sit back and think. I've got to like do something. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I w- I would say like in my and then after university, I throughout university I was studying geography, but. All I would do is like read up all the startup news and all the tech startups. I was just constantly following that and then like uh, following them and then applying for internships and all that kind of stuff. And I actually, I found out about this company called Groupon really early on, like a day or two after they launched, they just had this viral success. And then I'm constantly messaging them saying, oh, I'm in England. You guys are going to set up an, an office in England soon for sure. Can I be an intern? All that kind of stuff. And then like after a couple of months after they, like six or seven months after they were really big, like as in after they launched and everyone was talking about Groupon all the time, really, really big. They actually did offer me uh, to come to, I think to America. Was it America or Canada? I come wherever the head office was. And then do a couple of months in the office there and then go back to London to be part of the London opening team. But wow. it would have meant that I'd have to drop out of, uh, out of uni. Uh, but, uh, I seriously considered it, but, um, so what stopped you? Uh, it was a big move. Uh, were you afraid? Was I afraid? Um, I think at the time it just felt, and I would understand that now, how frantic and crazy a text like early startups were, mm. but it didn't really feel really uh, official. Like it was just someone emailing me back saying, oh yeah, you come, come work over here and we'll do this, this, this. So making a big move without really strict, without like any real structure to it, especially being a kid, like moving to America, like how would things like visas and all that kind of stuff work and they couldn't really give answer to that so they did i think it wasn't uh so none of the signs were there really <laughs> no it wasn't it just wasn't a, a put together offer that you just like really formally accept mm. no uh, contract no. Oh, you know an interesting thing i we i jumped a little bit there, but so i was either going to go to uni mm. uh, no no i was either going uh what was it oh when i didn't do well in the GCSEs, which was like 16, 17. I could either go to another school, Wimbledon, and then keep studying and then go to uni, or I was going to go to EA Games and be a game tester, right? Ah. <laughs> but, and it's that my younger brother's dream to, job. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the time, I was like seven, 16, 17, and I was like, game tester. That's the <laughs> dream job. And then my interview was on the same day that the terrorist bombings happened. And so I couldn't wow. get to the interview. And then they, so they called us all up and said, I'm going to reshare. So it was 7-7, uh, 2007. Was that, was that 2007? I can't remember, but uh, yeah, the 7-7 bombings in London. So I, and they called us all up and said, we're going to have to reschedule the interviews. And then they never rescheduled them. Uh, so then I just, I went to school. Yeah. So I could have gone down working at, in a games company. Um, but that was a little bit of a 
I like that the because it's, it's interesting how you've had all these things leading up to like starting your own business quite young <laughs> yeah. and you decided to go a different route, which is study. Why not just start your own business? Oh, yeah. So that's what I was going to get at is, oh, yeah, I followed all this news and tech startup news and all the stuff and be a startup founder, all the kind of thing. And I just found found myself spending all my time reading and learning about all that stuff, in my, especially my last year of uni. So uh, where it's almost like, did I study the wrong thing or should I have gone to uni? And yeah, mm. even thinking, looking back, I, I probably should have just, if I just stuck even with the eBay stuff, uh, it probably would have been better than uni. Uni was fun, you know, <clears throat> partying and drinking, all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> the the it w- that was like more of a thing where I felt like I had to go away and check some boxes that everyone's supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> like if if you're gonna ask me now, I wouldn't I wouldn't have gone to uni. I would just kept doing business. But obviously now everyone talks about you know this sort of hustle life, and everyone has to be an entrepreneur and business person. But when you're like when is was it two thousand? I can't remember my dates off on my head, but yeah, like 12, 14, 15 years ago. Yeah, how old am I now? Well, yeah, being, about 15 years ago, people would mm-hmm. actively discouraging, don't <coughs> do yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, now it's so, almost glorified. Yeah, and it way. wasn't from my parents. My parents weren't saying don't do it. Yeah. yeah they, they wouldn't. They were happy to support either way. But yeah, now it's like really glorified. So everyone, people... Everyone wants to be an decision. entrepreneur. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, but uh, the name, everyone's like, yeah. it's almost like you're a celebrity. Because even the, the year out uh, after uni, I just spent working at um, startups. So I'd work at startups for free mm. uh, during the day and then work. I had a job as a front of house event manager uh, around London at different events. Um, at night. So I just work night to make my money and then work during the day at internships. I did like four or five internships throughout the year, like two or three months each at different tech startups and variety of different types of businesses where, and I specifically wanted to go to those businesses and do a bit of everything uh, in each one of those. And it'll be like small teams, like five, 10, 15, 20 people in each startup and then go around and do everything. So that was a, that was good. That was a lot of fun, um, but uh, I definitely realized after that that was that's definitely like my privilege, in the fact that because I had a, I, I didn't have to pay rent because I lived at, at home. Yeah. So I had a family home to live at, and I I was able to make money by working at night, but being able to work for free at a internship, most people don't have that opportunity. Yeah. Not just opportunity, as in someone offers you the opportunity but the ability to work for free and not have to like pay for food and stuff. So I look back and that's definitely the, the real fortunate mm-hmm. thing that I had. Um, that, yeah, definitely you, cause your question was like what the parents, that's what parents provided for sure that you don't think about necessarily at the time. Mm. You think that, Oh, you're doing an intern. I'm doing an internship working for, for free. I'm so special. Like look at me, I'm giving up my time to learn stuff, but other people have to, and money to feed themselves and pay rent and so that sort of thing. So I that's like definitely it. like my middle class privilege there. Mm. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I did that. And then I spent a year teaching English in, no, no, teaching in Korea, but not English. I'm not very good at teaching English. I taught 
geography and history to kids who were preparing for uh, international school in America or in, in England. <clears throat> so I did that. And because I had a good university, they I got paid really well. And I definitely treated that year as more of a fun year because you get paid like $50 an hour to do that. So I was like, oh, I need to work two hours a day, three yeah. hours a day. Whereas really, looking back, I should have worked eight hours a day and then put a bunch of money away. <laughs> but uh, no, I would just work two or three two or three hours a day and then just party and have fun. So I did that for a year and then travel around Asia from Korea as a, as a center point. Um, and then I came back to England. And then uh, there's... And so in the UK, got they've got this program called the New Entrepreneurs Foundation mm. where every year they pick... Uh, 25 to 30 of the future potential entrepreneurs of the country. And um, that I applied for that. And you, you have to go through this whole long interview process and they bring everyone together and they do sort of character building or like, like sort of group tests and all this kind of stuff. And they analyze and take notes and things and they choose 25 people out of a few hundred. Um, and so I did that for a year. So that's actually a program where you get paid to be on it. So you get paid like the equivalent of 50, 60,000 Aussie, Aussie dollars. So um, it's not like, yeah, so it's decent, half decent amount of money. And you spend a year shadowing uh, a CEO. No, you, you spend a year uh, working with a entrepreneur who is running a company and still running a company. So I did, uh, I worked, because of the background of me working at tech startups, I worked at um, a company called Gamesys. So it's mm -hmm. an online gaming company uh, in Piccadilly Circus. So I spent a year doing that. And then one day a week, so we also paid to be one day a week going to study the entrepreneur entrepreneurship master uh, class at like UCL and going to have speeches and talks and classes from all the consultant groups, KPMG, Accenture, Deloitte, all those different people. So one one day a week, and we'll pay to do that. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's somewhat pretty prestigious. There's a lot of other good people. We started off, the, the year started off at Richard Branson's house. So we had, um, we started off at Richard Branson's house. That's why I've got a picture of Richard Branson on my LinkedIn. And it ends the year at, uh, in Westminster every other year, apart from, got to finish it with the prime minister, apart from our year. <laughs> so wow. we only got to, we only got to do it at uh, the houses of parliament. Yeah. But all the other years, everyone's with uh, the prime minister where they go, you know, so you start, we start the year at Richard Branson's house and we finish the year uh, in, in parliament uh, to say, so it's, it, it's got some prestige, uh, some prestige to it. And, uh, but that was really good because that's a network of other young entrepreneurs. And, and it tends to be people who they see as being the future mm. potential entrepreneurs of the country. And, um, yeah, and then, but then in the last few months of that year, I was helping, I, I was doing all the, uh, online and design work for passion tree. So they, I originally got involved with um, Passion Tree because it wasn't called Passion. I came up with the name Passion Tree as well, but it's my my wife's um, family's business. Uh, it was this one store on Elizabeth Street in Brisbane. They hadn't come up with a name yet, but then but they had like this quote for a designer 
and because I know how to use all the uh, design softwares, like the Illustrator InDesign, and they're getting quoted, yeah, a couple of thousand dollars for this and a couple of thousand dollars to build a website, et cetera. And I was like, I, I can just do all that for free. I'll just do all that for free. And then we, and I, because I know that the design process can be, if you don't know what you want, it can be get really expensive, like sending off uh, revisions constantly, whereas I would just do it all for free. Um, and then that's how we came up with Passion Tree, the original one. The original Passion Tree was it started off the concept as many meaning to be a patisserie, but it being the first store to have a thing, I call it like feature creep, which is what they they say in the tech world, where you just keep adding things. Oh, this is a good idea. Let's add this. That's a good idea. Let's add that. So at that time, it's 2013, and. Uh, what was really popular then? Max Brenner was really popular then. Centuros was was blowing up. Uh, Noggy and Moochie, the Froyo companies, they were blowing up. Uh, Breadtop was blowing up. <clears throat> so, the very first pageantry had all a Froyo section. It had all the Breadtop items. It had like all this chocolate stuff, like Max Brenner, and then it had the patisserie. So that one was just called pageantry, and um, it was meant to be a patisserie cafe. And it just became this general dessert bar. But it did become really popular. Like we were number one or number two on, it used to, it used to be called like the Urban Spoon. Mm. And they, Urban Spoon, every city would have the top 10 places, regardless of cafe, restaurant, or the most trending places. And we were like in the top 10 for, for a whole year. So it was really, really popular. But it wasn't, the, it, the patisserie was popular, but it was more the rest, like the vibe of the store, the rest of the menu, all the desserts, and it was built for sharing. So all the desserts were sharing items. <clears throat> and I was, I was, like before I opened, yeah, I was in England. And then, uh, like I said, it's my wife's family's business. And because I did all, I probably saved her my $10,000 in design work. They, as a thank you, they uh, flew me out to, to Australia to see like all the, signage and all the menus that I made and all this other stuff to see it uh, in person as like a thank you, like a couple of, that's like what, $2,000 to fly someone out and I saved them 10,000, that's not true. But, but at, when I flew out, it was the really bad floods uh. in Brisbane. So they were supposed to open a few weeks before I got there, but because of the floods, couldn't open. they couldn't get any electricians or people to certify for it to open. So I went out there just to see a building site, <laughs> like uh, pretty pretty much finished, but they just couldn't get all the electrical certifications and all that kind of stuff to open. So then uh, I went back. I just, just, I just had a holiday here, basically. <laughs> uh, then I went back and then they flew me out a few months later again, and I was still doing all the website, uh, doing all, running all the social media, all the kind of stuff from England. So I just do it at night. Um, and then on the second trip over, we talked about like, why did we do passion tree? Why did they do passion tree? And it was meant to be for the patisserie, mm-hmm. um, because that was what they pictured and what we all pictured as like the gap in the market. Um, so then on that second trip, we put together the concept of passion tree velvet and the velvet is just supposed to be the more premium part of it. And then on that trip, I also shopped around to find, like, that's just, yeah, it was just the approach. Like, oh, let's get an idea. Okay, let's just, well, how do we 
approach this, just start calling people. <clears throat> people are always like afraid to call. So just call up like shopping centers and like, I want to open a shop. How does that happen? Mm. You know, just, and then you can just call and say, how do I do this? And then people will put you in touch with other people. I'm always just not afraid to like, just make a phone call and ask questions and there's a lesson yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Big one. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. And then so we opened our first shop in Carindale West. Uh, so yeah, we put together this concept, Passion Tree Velvet is targeted towards uh, like the shopping center, shopper, uh, only trades during the daytime, whereas Passion Tree was becoming more of a dessert bar and that traded at night. Um, and Passion Tree Velvet was, yeah, more the patisserie. And that once we created that first one in Carindale, that was the one that uh, really started to take off. So, um, sorry, so the second time I came to Australia, we came up with the concept of Passion Tree Velvet. And then uh, my wife's dad offered, okay, let's execute on this. Uh, he'll sponsor my visa to come and actually execute on the Passion Tree Velvet concept. <clears throat> and yeah, so I went back to England because so, you have to you have to go back to apply for visa to a working visa to come back and then came back and then we opened eight passion tree velvets in two years six seven 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 or eight yeah and moved interstate so i was in gold coast we did carindale rabina intrapilly and uh Kulangata. and then we moved to Sydney, and then we did Macquarie, Macquarie, Balgala, Broadway. Then we added Pacific Fair back in the Gold Coast. Um, so we grew really quick and we did interstate. Um, and uh, yeah, then the business was just okay. And we were cruising for a bit. Uh, we, because it's supposed to be an economic crash every, it goes in cycles, right? Every six to 10 years. So at that point, when we had finished building like eight, nine stores, uh, we were thinking there's going to be a crash soon. So if we sign another, if we sign any more of these five, seven, eight year leases, these, the, the crash is going to come three or four years into a lease. And then we're going to be overexposed with all these leases. <clears throat> so let's just sit and wait for maybe wait a year or two, build up our cash reserves. Uh, just keep fixing the business because we were maybe we grew we grew too fast so we grew grew really fast I'm not sure about too fast but we grew grew really fast and then um, the uh, we didn't we had to like so we spent time fixing a lot of systems and operations etc uh, which took longer than probably we were expecting but it's good because things work so smoothly now. Mm. Uh, and then that crash never really came. <clears throat> like it's come now, obviously, because of the coronavirus. But you know, we having uh, we're hoping, not hoping, but we're expecting there to be some sort of little crash eventually. And then, then we can uh, pick up some, uh, sign some leases after that. Once there's been a correction, etc. Because also there was, there's just a thing where, because the cakes and the bakery and patisserie fills sites that. Uh, you're also competing in terms of sites. You're competing with people who are trying to open cafes and coffee shops mm. and everyone's opening a cafe or coffee shop like over the past three or four years. 
it was hard to open in a very crowded space. Although we are different to everybody else because we, we're not just selling cups of coffee. We're selling like boxes of macarons and like $1,500 birthday cakes for parties. Um, yeah, but just competing for the spaces in, from a from an opening shop's perspective. And that sort of brings us to that period of time where we are sort of like a year and a half since we'd opened a shop and then start looking for more to do and um, coming up with the cookies a year ago. Mm. Yeah, and that brings us full circle. So yeah, then that's back to the story of then doing cookies and then really the cookies, We I was doing cookies pretty slowly in terms of customer traction. We did a couple of events and those were just like, you know, grafting. The first event was super popular, crazy. Uh, like we sold tons and tons and it really hit it off. But then a, a few events after that, you know, we had a bunch of wastage and we'd have to really like talk to customers and explain what the cookie is, et cetera, like that. And give people tasters and ask people to try and you know, grab people, call people over, hey, come try these, have you seen these cookies and all that kind of stuff. But then when the, we're doing that every week, doing different markets, different events, <clears throat> nothing really to write home about. And then I think in February we had like, yeah, 500 followers, et cetera. But then when we had the shutdown and all of our shops had to close, um, the I pushed all the, all the cookies online and offered all on uh, home delivery. So we turned all these office workers, all the office workers here became delivery drivers around Sydney. Uh, and then we offered shipping around Australia and it just took off. So I think uh, around March 23rd, we had 500 followers. And then like, as of yesterday, we have like 14,000 and we, uh, tomorrow morning we'll hit our 4,000th, uh, online order, uh, 4,000, so 4,000 orders. Yeah. So, so the thick cook. So, what it's meant that is that Passion Tree Velvet, because it's a hot, it is still food and hospitality. It's um, we didn't have to fire anybody. Mm. We were able to keep everybody employed, uh, and getting people to do different things, like become a delivery driver or make cookies, etc. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. So we were able to keep all the staff employed and now things have started to reopen uh and so the the cookie sales have dropped now as people are able to go out and shop but then they the online orders sorry have dropped but then they've just been coming to the markets so markets well. pick up and yeah it was, it was this thing we never had before was lines of people yeah whereas now we have to have like markers and things that say social distance because and then uh, farmers markets have to put us in special places where they can let a, a line build up mm. while allowing people to be socially distanced. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of like an overnight success, but it took years and years to become an overnight success. <laughs> which is which is a, another lesson in of itself. Yeah. You know, all the hard work that you guys have put in to just, not just the cookies, but passion tree velvet. Now Banksia as well. Yes. So Big Banksia, brownies. Yeah, Banksia Bakehouse was, we're doing Passion Tree Velvet and then, uh, so Passion Tree Velvet's are patisserie cake shops which are served from a central bakery and then we deliver out every day to all the stores. But it means that we can have a central bakery with all of our skilled staff and then all the shops, it's just small shops that don't require a whole big team of bakers in every location and, 
and all the equipment. Um, but we wanted to create sort of a flagship where people can see that everything is handmade and made by skilled staff and uh, all the kind of thing, because it is. And uh, so we thought about making a flagship, but then we decided to not have it be called like Passion Tree Velvet's flagship. We decided to create a whole new concept, which just can be its own uh, attraction uh, in the city of Sydney. And it's, it's again, it's something that we saw as a gap. Like in Melbourne, they have a lot of good cake shops and patisseries on every other street corner. Whereas in Sydney, there's not really anywhere to, uh, sorry, uh, in the in the business district with all the offices, there's not really anywhere to go get birthday cakes or go and watch or get fresh made pies like uh, that are baked there or, you know, croissants that are rolled right in front of you and baked in the morning. So that doesn't exist in the CBD, like the real central CBD. Um, I think there, there's the Renaissance in the rocks. There's like rollers in Manly. Yeah. They do. They have good croissants. But then that's it. Whereas in Melbourne, you'd find them on every other street corner. So that's in, that, that, that's what we spotted in terms of the gap in the market. And then we also wanted to be a... But we also didn't want to be... With patisseries, people always brand them as uh, French. Yep. No matter where you go in the world, if like you're in Argentina and you go to a patisserie, they'll say something along the lines of their French style patisserie. Whether you're a super, a really ex, like fancy concept, you would say their French patisserie. If you had the, just your local little person trying to do their little cake shop, they'll say they're a French patisserie. <laughs> but in Australia, with like the type of ingredients we're using, like a lot of uh, mostly Australian ingredients and Australian staff and the Australian uh, like Australian standards of food, like people, the customers expect such a high standard. Mm. We should just be an Australian patisserie. <coughs> yeah, d don't bother with saying, "Oh, look at us, we're trying to be French." No, like saying you're an Australian uh, patisserie means more, means as much or, or more when people come in. So then that's kind of the inspiration between uh, behind it, calling it Banksia, like mm. name it after an Australian native flower. And I, since moving to Australia, I love all the Australian native flora. Like at, uh, at my wedding, we, uh, everyone had the, like my wife as well, like all the flowers and everything were all Australian native plants. Like no, like colorful, um, big, no like roses and all that kind of stuff. It was all Australian natives, all very Australian, Australiana themed. So we love all the yeah, natural botanics in Australia. So that's what the idea between uh, for the name of Banksia Bakehouse. And then we were thinking, you know, uh, Banksia Bakehouse, people are more likely to, well, again, what would I expect coming to Sydney? Or do, or do I come to Sydney and then go to the um, French cake shop? Or do I go to Sydney and go to the, Australian cake shop. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So we, and then we'll, and then in Banksia, we'll be selling croissants, et cetera, and things like that. But then also all the meat pies and handmade meat pies, which we can't seem to find any good meat pies in this, in this city. Nope. <laughs> but there is now Banksia Bakehouse. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, there's Banksia. I haven't, I haven't even tried them yet, but there's like the, the one good pie that I did have was Harry. 
Harry's. Oh yeah, Caf- so Cafter Wheels. Yeah, but they're a, a bit different. Like they put yeah, yeah, mash That's stuff on top. They're good. Yeah. They, I would say they're yeah. It's a tough thing when I say Sydney CBD. Yeah, I, in my head, that's like around the rocks to, like town hall. Yeah, I don't think station, Harry's in. Harry, Harry's is more near Central Station. Yeah, uh, I would say the big difference there is people actually live near Central Station. People actually live around there, whereas in closer up to the CBD, it's more hotels and office workers. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I would I sort of break I, I when I say keep saying oh they don't have this in the city. They actually do. They have it in Surrey Hills Central Station because people actually live around there. Mm. So they've got more of a stable shopper. Uh, well, no, no, sorry. The city worker is a stable shopper as well. But um, if they want quality pastry, quality pies, go to Banksia. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're doing it and we've got a, a supportive landlord up there at Groveson Place, 225 George Street. And I think no people, other people aren't offering it because... And they go out to Surrey Hills or, you know, Alexandria or uh, Central Station sort of area, Redfern area, because they're priced out of being uh, in the CBD. Priced out from, they are expensive rents, but then also you really only trade five days a week because there's no office workers on the weekend. Mm. Um, But we wanted to take that risk to create a destination. Uh, down there so we're sort of close-ish to the rock so we can feed we can pull people away from the tourist destinations of the rock and still capture a lot of the business workers and we want to be established as a place you can come to banks your bakehouse speak to a staff and get a custom birthday cake made and decorated you can see it being decorated behind there and that service doesn't exist there but there's plenty of people in the city having birthdays you know celebrating Oh, I've just passed my probation. We've just launched version two of this. You know, uh, I'm going on maternity leave. I've just returned from maternity leave. I'm retiring. I've been working here. Not only this is my birthday, but this is my work birthday. Like I've been working here for five years. I've been working for two years. And tons of tons of reasons to have cake. Yeah. But there's no real cake shops in the city. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. It, was so just... it sounds like you've cracked the market, man. <laughs> yeah. But it's very much a thing of where... Uh, why is no one else doing this? Like yeah. cake shop. But us, because we're not doing it. Yeah. We literally have all the ability to do it and we're not doing it. Uh, you can't really say that question of why is no one else doing it. That's the same actually the original origins of the thick cookie. Because the thick cookie is, say as you say, it's New York style cookie and it's based on uh, these two companies, Levain Bakery in New York and Chip Bakery. Levain is the original one, but they're, and I've had I had them in New York like twelve years years ago. I've always been like, oh, this is the best cookie. Why is no one else doing it? Why is no one else doing it? <laughs> like just waiting around for someone else to do it. And yeah, so waiting for you to do it, man. Like no one's doing it because I'm not doing it. I literally work at a bakery. We have the facilities and the ingredients and everything just to do it. And I'm not doing it. So I did it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the problem. Like everyone is afraid to actually start and they think that someone else is going to do it. Yeah. And they worry too much about whether or not someone is actually going to do it rather than just starting and then <laughs> yeah. worrying about the aftermath. I would say like I was already in a position uh, to be able to execute on it. Yeah. Like even like this podcast, I've always wanted a podcast that interviewed like local business people. Mm. But then I don't have any... I have no idea what I'm doing with this recording stuff. Whereas you already have had a background in. Well, I I wanted the same thing. Yeah. Like every time I went out to places, which was rarely ever, I was always curious about what's this person's story. 
you everything know? from like all the hotels, uh, the restaurants and cafes, etc. I want to know this person who has a big plumbing business. How did they grow and and things like that? So that's I very much feel the same way about your podcast. Is like just I'm like, oh, why is no one doing interviewing local business owners? Mm. It wasn't my place because I have no air, I have no uh, experience in that. But uh, that same sort of uh, approach with the cookies, where you know I was thinking waiting for someone else to do it because <laughs> I love the product and I'm like, that's enough reason to want to do it myself. Cause I, I know I would love it. Um, yeah. And I still, I love the cookies. Mm, I love them. <laughs> like too. I eat them all the time as well. Yeah, us. We're always eating them at home like, and you know, you can go cause we have 13 flavors and we're always trying new flavors out. So you can go like a week or two of not trying one of the flavors. Yeah. And then you have a flavor and it's like, damn, I, oh yeah, I remember why we launched. This is so good. <laughs> My favorite one to date has to be their caramel choc chip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I love it. I don't know what it is, but. It's, just, it's really good chocolate. It's, it's really so expensive. good. So we have a problem with that one where the chocolate's really expensive and it comes from Belgium. So sometimes it runs out. And especially with the coronavirus stuff where they've had problems with the managing the stock. So, uh, like bringing it in, uh, so that's been out of stock here and there because it's, and that's super popular as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So it's the caramel one and the, um, strawberries and cream one. Yeah. Yeah. Strawberries and cream is one of my favorite. Those two are gold. <laughs> Everything else doesn't really compare. I mean, they're great, but for me, those two are the best. My favorite one right now is the apple pie. Yeah, oh yeah, pie. yeah. We put all the apple pie spices in the dough, and then we make the apple pie. Oh, you thing. do? Yeah. So all the spices oh, you would expect an apple pie, <laughs> we we blend them through the dough, and then the apple pie filling, we uh we make all that cut up the apples and make all the apple pie filling from scratch here, and then uh we you know that's stewed down for like hours. I don't think time. I've tried that one. Oh, you should, yeah, you should have it. It's, that's my favorite because it's not a straight choc chip cookie, whereas all yeah. the other ones are sort of variations of that chocolate cookies. Unique. So for me, I've eaten so many of the cookies where I'm like, I like the more uh, interesting flavors. We do more of the interesting flavors, most a lot a lot for ourselves. Like mm. So it keeps us, uh, keep wanting to eat them. You know what yeah. I, I like as well? A nice hot cinnamon cookie. <laughs> okay, well, keep your eyes. Yeah, uh, keep your eyes peeled. I, the next I, few weeks. Like, tell you what, one of my <laughs> some of my fondest memories is when my mum would make homemade cookies, but she wouldn't overload them with sugar. It'd be cinnamon. Okay. And what would you call that cookie? Cinnamon style cookie. Uh, okay. Like it was nothing special, but it just hit the spot. Like yeah. you warm them up, and you want to eat more. Because in America they'd call that. Uh, I think they would call it a snickerdoodle. Yeah, but I think people might people don't really know what a snickerdoodle is. They think it's a yeah. Snickers. Aussie's like yeah, snicker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're we doing a cinnamon scroll. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll show you after the photos. We were uh, testing them, testing them on Friday. Yeah, and then we got a lemon meringue cookie, which oh. which will only be available in certain places because we have to pipe meringue on top of it. And then we have got a macaron cookie coming out. But damn. But uh, and and yeah. special You'll edition. You'll be one of the first people to try. Yes, I'll send you over just, to try some taste. Just call me up and say, Jay, we're taste testing. Come over, and I'll be like, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Come. 
But the thing about inviting people over taste testings for any of the companies, like Passion Tree, uh, Thick, Big, everything, is that people will just come and then go, yeah, it's all good. No, no, no. Because no. we'll, we'll generally have like five or six different versions of every little thing we try. Yep. And then it's sort of, we have to pick which one's the best and which one works operationally and which one works from shelf life perspective and um, and things like that. But if visitors come in, who I'll uh, give you a full rundown, that man. That one, they're all good. Yeah. To sell all of them. Because they are all good. I'll like, give you a full list of this is what <laughs> I think. And yeah, I do be that. more specific on exactly why is this one better than that one. I, I will be. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> My taste buds, man, they are something else. Like, okay, okay. I'm very, I'm brutally honest when it, it when it comes to something. Like, if I don't like something, like, I don't know if you've seen any of my my reviews. Like, yesterday I tried M&M's pretzel. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm did not taste away. like pretzel at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, but you still like them. They're still good, right? I still enjoyed the fact that, because yeah, they're M&M's, M&M's, right? Yeah. Like, they still taste nice, but there was no pretzel in them. I like, yeah, I like those ones. It's more the they're trying to go for that salty chocolate. Yeah, but it wasn't combo. that wasn't that for me. Like no. it didn't it didn't hit that you advertising that it's pretzel yeah. and yet you're not getting that pretzel f- taste yeah. to it. It it just didn't work. It was more <laughs> the, I think the the milk chocolate overtook yeah, the pretzel. That's right. And that's always something that's the kind of thing we always have to think about. Yeah. I it's mean, like, yeah, I don't know if you've tried the jelly top. Chocolate? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Whitaker's? That is that is something else. Is and it? Yeah, it is. Uh, I, do, I do like Whitaker's chocolate. Oh, yeah, this, okay, this chocolate. Jelly Top. Jelly Top, it's just, it's white chocolate and you got jelly in the middle. You try it and then the flavors also on the bottom, you got milk chocolate, just normal yeah. milk chocolate. So you got three different flavors all melting in I your mouth. Because like, also you have to remember, I'm not, I'm not Australian. Yeah. So there's a lot, like I still haven't gotten around to trying Milo. What? <laughs> yeah. Wait, so oh, no. early, an early flavor of cookie was chocolate orange. Because in England, chocolate orange is really popular. We've got Terry's chocolate orange. But people didn't want to, people thought that was strange here. In England, we have Jaffa's, which are yeah. chocolate orange, Jaffa cakes, and Terry's chocolate orange. And everyone is used to having chocolate, like chocolate orange. But here, we're going to be at markets and people, the few people who would buy it, because I really liked it, that's why we had it. The few people I would, who'd buy it, I'd ask them, you wouldn't happen to be English, would you? And like, yeah, 80% of them are English. But we discontinued it because it's only English people buying it. <laughs> See, that's the thing, yeah. you know, like I never really got into there. Jaffa's. No, yeah. I was never, never liked them. <laughs> but um, there's other flavors like the Jelly Top. And jelly Top. Candies here that, uh, the, like a Cherry Ripe. But I mean, obviously I've had Cherry Ripes, but I mean, that, that's I'm not a, a fan of Cherry Ripe. Though. I like Cherry Ripe, but that's like one that's an Australian, I think it's Australian flavor, yeah. Mm. So they're more common, they're more used to that. I think as well, you know, I tried the Marvelous Creations one and yeah. my favorite one was the the jelly beans yeah. inside of it. it. The popping candy didn't work. No. All the other ones didn't work. And then they came out with this new one where it was, I think it was like um, marshmallows inside or something. It was like the birthday cake yeah. edition. Did not taste good. What do you expect a birthday cake to taste like? Like... To be honest with you, yeah. To be honest with you, a birthday cake needs to either be vanilla, chocolate. Needs to yeah, you got your standard flavors, right? Yeah. For a good birthday cake, the ones that I had no, growing I mean, up. No, I as in uh, birthday cake flavor. What does that? Oh, mean? It needs to be creamy, mate. Yeah. Like it needs to have that. Because definition is what you just said. It, it t- generally is just vanilla. Yeah. So our, our, our frosting 
flavored cookie, uh, vanilla frosting flavored white chocolate cookie. We used to call birthday cake. Yeah. But then people would just think that's only for birthdays. <laughs> so we changed no, the name. You can, have, you can have birthday cake You're right. whenever you want, but you've got to make it good. You are saying about birthday cakes, a secret. We, for um, Banksia and Passion Fruit Velvet, like we can do a whole bunch of different interesting flavors, but the bigger the cake and the more people you have to cater for at an event, the more uh, standardized your flavor should be. Mm. Yeah, so if you've got like 50 people and you want a birthday cake, like my birthday cake was a peanut butter cake. Yeah. Because I love peanut butter. And we launched that after doing it at my birthday because it was so good. But people wouldn't buy it because you don't know if uh, if you want to vent for 20 people, are all 20 of them going to like peanut butter? No. You, you can be sure that half Allergies yeah. as well. and You can be sure that no one would make any complaints if you just had vanilla. Yeah. Yeah, just vanilla or just chocolate. People can't go, you didn't ask me before you bought this whether I like chocolate. <laughs> yeah. So like even we've done tons of them. We've done like pineapple cakes and cherry cakes nah. and coconut ones, which taste amazing, but people won't try them because they want the standard stuff. It doesn't mean we stop doing it. It just means that. See, coconut's have... all right. Yeah. Pineapple. Uh, and what was the other one you said? Um, cherry. Cherry is a bad example because yeah, Australians nah. do like cherry flavored, like black forest type things. They are yeah, used to it. But there's a specific style i think of all flavor for the black forest like you got to do it yeah, well yeah like otherwise there's no point but it's something you have to be, like for example with the uh big italian background here is uh tiramisu is a really popular flavor oh yeah like uh uh whereas um i would say it's not as much in england uh and same so i would say the same thing maybe with coconut like yeah coconut's a, good apart from a bounty yeah what else do people really have I mean, that's a bad example in Australia because you have things like lamingtons and stuff. But in England, only really the Bounty chocolate bar has coconut in it. People are not really so exposed and it's not as common a popular flavor. But that reminds me, we have a lamington flavor cookie coming out soon. Hey! <laughs> yeah. We have all the, like, we have a lot of fun making cookies. And they do taste really good. But we can't bring out too much. Ice cream flavored. What? Okay, what, what, what is ice cream flavored? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, right? So when I think of ice cream, like the best ice cream I've ever had has to be Ben and Jerry's. But which flavor? Um, cookie dough? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, it's actually the, the caramel one. Yeah. So that would just be a caramel cookie. <laughs> you just like caramel. <laughs> but like I said. But I think like a, potentially an ice cream one, but like a, we, were trying, we were thinking of trying one, a Neapolitana. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you know where it's... But yeah. that, that's really so, just chocolate, strawberry, vanilla um, yeah. somehow. But that one's hard because that one comes out really messy as a flavor. People, you don't know what to expect. Yeah. But... uh, That's hard. Yeah. I'll think about it and get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I got one more question for you. Oh, yeah. This is my legacy question. Yeah. That I, I don't think I asked you the last time I was here. Yeah. But... Your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Oh. And they're showing it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say in the show about your life? Uh, that we actually created things, we actually built and made things that people got to enjoy. It doesn't really matter whose face is on it. Like I said, this is, this is not just me. It's like, there's like four of us who do this. 
who've put all, who've built all of this together. But um, yeah, just the fact because I we used to work in I used to do all tech startup type stuff, but that never really you never really got to meet any customers, never really got to speak to people. It always felt like it it was all happening online. So I spent like two years after uni doing that. But I liked hospitality and uh, seeing people come in and enjoy it. You can just stand in the background or be washing dishes or something and just know that everyone's experiencing stuff. So probably like some sort of video, it's just like a flash of, uh, I prefer the idea that people already love the brands and already love the products. And then people say, it literally happened today. Someone was at Banksia uh, trying to sell us something. And then he was like, Oh my God, are those thick cookies? Like are that real thick or have you copied that? And I was like, Oh no, thick cookies is also us. And he was like a massive fan of thick cookies. And I was, and he just like, it was just a moment of surprise for him. <laughs> so I like that, that kind of thing where you just can be like, uh, where yeah, so you're seeing the joy on people's faces. Yeah. yeah. Just a surprise. Well, these are the things that they built. Yeah. Mm. Because you wouldn't on that video, you wouldn't. It would never be like these are the cars he drove, and those are this is the thing. So probably, and eventually, once you get more time, more charity work. Mm. But uh, I already donate to charity. But actually, doing the work would be eventually once things settle down. Um, and then also, uh, we've always maintained this as something that I mean, there's no one here right now, but. We all, we all maintain this is what we're trying to, uh, what we take a lot of pride from as well is uh, all the jobs we create. <clears throat> yeah. Um, we also just talked about this the other day as, as well as like, would you rather, we regret certain times when we hired a consultant when we could have hired an employee yeah. to do it and then uh, create another job. And we always take pride in the fact that we've created, we, we did this and we created this many jobs. You know, um, so job creation as well, that would be one eventually. But um, no, and then also just that we lived well and are happy and have a good family. It's a family business. Everyone mm. everyone in here is all, uh, or everyone on the, we're all related uh, in a way. Like I'm, it's my wife's, I'm married to my wife and it's her brother, she runs, a lot of the product, she runs all the production in the bakery and her brother, Josh, she run he, he runs uh, a lot of the she actual in-store operations and things. Um, and then his, his, his uh, partner, Aileen, does a lot of the marketing. Uh, and uh, that's how we, yeah, it's all tight knit. And then all the staff members, especially in the office, they're all pretty much like family. Yeah. Yeah. We've been working together for so long. <clears throat> yeah. So you're gonna leave a thick legacy of <laughs> people smiling, people enjoying themselves, people and, getting thick, getting big. thick <laughs> themselves, and just living life to the best. Yeah. And, and family. We, we get more fun, interesting yeah. concepts. Great doing, keep uh, doing fun things. Love yeah, it. Love it, man. What to say? Well, I feel like that's a good way to sort of end that conversation. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for coming yeah, on the Storybox podcast. No, no, it's great, man. Absolutely great. Thank you yeah. so much for your time. Easy. 
I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.